0: श्री ki jai Shri, Shri ki jai ki jai Deva ki jai ki jai बोलो। So we gathered on the auspicious occasion of the appearance of Sri भगवान Nata Sri na Srinya Bhagawan Guy, and this is uh, a very well-known Lila Bhagawan that has just layers and layers of uh, meaning and significance, and in, in a general sense, and in a very deep and esoteric sense as well. <clears throat> It um, is recorded and described in the Vishnu Purana and perhaps other Puranas as well. <coughs> and of course, it's and it's explained in the uh, Bhagwat Puran, the Srimad Bhagavatam. Srimad Bhagavatam covers this uh, leela or describes this leela in a very extended way in about 14 chapters, um, four of which are found in the third cano and ten of which are found in the seventh cano. So it's it's um, told in, to some extent early on in the third cano and then um, some of the details of what are described in the third cano are played out in, in great detail in the seventh canto, the detail in particular being the birth of one of the gatekeepers, Jayan Vijay in Vaikuntha, as Haranakashipu and and the birth of his son, Purlad, and the corresponding appearance of Bhagwan Nasingha, who catered to the devotional necessities of Prahlad and dealt effectively with the demonic tendencies of Ranyakasipu. So, I don't know if any, I don't believe any other um, uh, elaboration on avatar tattva with regard to a particular avatar um, is covered in greater Depth and greater length uh, in the Bhagavatam than that of Bhagawan Sri Narasimha. Even the Leela of Ram is explained uh, in Bhagavatam, the ninth canto, but it, it doesn't cover this many chapters, so it's a very uh, important, very instructive Leela. These Leelas and all well, the Avatar Tattva, the appearance of Bhagavan in the world, is a very esoteric topic in itself, and it's probably particularly hard to wrap one's head around it in modern society, uh, given the way that the modern secular society is uh, largely influenced to think about the nature of the world and the possibilities that lie uh, therein. Um, and descriptions of the world, if you will, found in ancient texts like the Puranas, like Srimad Bhagavatam, don't make a lot of sense in comparison to the way in which the world is described today. The cosmography, if we were to make a cosmographic map of how the world is perceived today through the lens, through the microscope and telescope of modern science, we would get a very different picture than the cosmographic map we find, for example, in Srimad Bhagavatam, which is, in a sense, a, a map of of, of time, and uh, very much a mapping of and a pointing out of what is considered to be auspicious qualities and inauspicious qualities in time. (coughs) They, uh, However, uh, what I want to point out is that these two views are not really in competition with regard to particulars and point for point and so forth, but rather in a larger overall sense, They are in competition with one another as to which way of looking at the world fosters more um, the betterment of human society. Hmm. Um, But point for point, as I say, they're not really competing. It's not that there's science today and there was no science in ancient times In Puranic times, there was a a science. Indians are very well known for their um, science and their math in particular. It was Einstein who said that without India, we would be nowhere in terms of science because India contributed the number zero to numbers (laughs) and math. And without that, um, so much of the math today by which we've been able to calculate uh, accurately um, certain... Aspects of the natural world and workings of the natural world, and and derive some benefits from that. Without that zero, we would be. His idea was, and I think it's quite accurate. We would have not been able to arrive at such. So, you no know, Indians had a, and even in ancient times, a science. Everybody has a science in human society to one extent or another. Starting a fire is a science. Um. Um. But they had a very sophisticated um, way of uh, engaging in mathematical calculations to, to arrive at uh, kind of a understanding of time. And time, of course, was an aspect or a manifestation of Bhagwan. So they posited a certain outlook of the world, a time map, if you will, cosmography which was a kind supposed to be a type of a meditation on the world in such a way that it would foster um, a certain uh, result a kind of result like a prelude, to become a very gentle uh, and wise person for example to integrate if you will the the self which they consider to be non-material with with Bhagavan uh, ideally through a loving relationship. They they, they they cast, if you will, moments, auspicious moments for the openings, if you will, that uh, one could enter through in meditation and experience uh, the world of Bhagavan and His Leela and different aspects of himself. I've, I've likened at different times in our discussions the avatars as different emotional Moments in the life of the Absolute. So they calculated, so to speak, these moments as openings in in time to go through, if you will, and and in the sense those openings were times when Bhagawan came through, or there was a a passage, at least, that by through meditation, of course, then one could enter into a world. These worlds and the stories that are the Puranic stories and so forth like this story of the shringadeve and and perlad and hrny kasipu are meant to kind of bring out that um, that moment in, in life of bhagavan that emotional moment that we call Singha, Narahari. and all that it involves is described in in the story of perlad and of course as i say in meditative experience then there are things that arise and uh, so um uh, the experience, if you will, of the Leela and its significance that is played out to some extent in the narrative of Prahlad, Hiranyakasipu, and the Shingadev is experienced in greater proportion or greater depth hmm, uh, in a meditative context. Hmm. I like to s- describe the stories of the avatars as. Um, based on a true story, something like that. You have these movies that are based on a true story. They may be augmented one way or another to kind of bring out the point. And we find descriptions of the Leelas of Bhagavan described slightly differently in different places and so forth. Um, uh, Particularly we find that in the Goswami's describing Krishna Leela, and we look carefully, we see they're trying to bring out different emotional uh, possibilities, Uh, uh, and bring the the reader, the sadhaka, into some sense of, some semblance of, and ultimately some deep experience of, like I say, the forces of the world, vatsalaya, madhurya, sakya, dasya, and so forth. So, again, this is a very different way of looking at the world from uh, modern science. And um, it's arguably a a better way, it's a way that's still around today, here we are singing the song of Jayadeva Goswami describing the ten avatars, which was written probably about 500 plus years ago which is a carrying on of a retelling, if you will in song, the stories of the avatars uh, which are asankhya, unlimited, but some of the principal ones Uh, again after they were written down thousands of years ago in the in the Puranas and so forth. And um, here we are, you know, today, 500 years later again. uh, It's worth noting that uh, my student, Krishangi, recently got a grant from the uh, Finnish government to uh, publish a book. She writes, she's well known for writing um, graphic novels. All of you are familiar with her work. So she got a grant to do a graphic novel on the Vishnu avatars, the Das avatar. So the story is being retold again and again um, in different forms and so forth. It doesn't seem to go away, and it's so rich and complex that it's difficult to, and it should be, to kind of get a handle on <laughs> what's it all about. The whole Vedic world is so, uh, if in the Baisenov world, um, the Puranic world, the Bhagwat world is so different from our modern world where we think we're going forward, getting better all the time and so forth. That's a very different idea than this very circular sensibility that you find in 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 the Bhagwat of, of where a world comes and then uh, expands and then contracts for a long pause just to come back out again. It's trying to... He's saying the world is making a point to us over and over again, the Buddha Buddha You know, it's, a, it, your life in the material world has a, with a material sense of identity, it doesn't endure. The world is breathing this message to you, so to speak. So this kind of cyclical movement is very, if you can try to enter into that, you may notice the music—the traditional music—is like that. It's da You know, the beat goes over and over again, and the chanting is repeated again and again. It's going in a circle. And so, the the whole idea behind this, of course, is the rishis, uh, that uh, who through whom the you know Vyasa and so forth is the citizens through the through whom the Puranic literature. Is thought to have come, and it did come, whether at one time or over a period of time, And ascribing the name of Vyas to them and so forth, being inspired uh, by by the original Vyas and being Vyases themselves, whoever the various authors may have been, compilers, Vyas means compiler, of something very significant, of a, of a spiritual nature for the world. They didn't want to take... Um, take um, I say, uh, they uh, acknowledged if it was their contribution, it's something that passed through them and so forth. Uh, they, anyway, such persons, they, they saw really the whole world as moving around the Atma, coming and going, the seasons coming and going, uh, the world's coming and going, and the Atma remained enduring, so they had a kind of a cyclical kind of, uh, perspective. Matter comes and goes in different takes different shapes and I remain constant. Hmm? Something like that. So the whole it's a very different way of of looking at the world and there is they did employ, as I say, scientific sensibilities, mathematics and so forth to describe the world, but they had a different very different purpose in describing it. Hmm? And overall, of course, their description of it was, was was very very profound in that they said that basically the material world is such that you cannot know it completely but uh, to, but then again you can in the sense that to know it completely is to know that it is vishnu maya hmm? it is a magic show of of, of 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 the godhead of comings and goings that you can never really entirely get a handle on the word my also means as I've said on other occasions to measure so to try to bring it within the grip to measure it, conquer it and so forth uh, and we're finding as I was discussing the other night in modern science that's exactly what modern science has also come to conclude you cannot understand material nature in its virgin state it's not possible, you can't get to it hmm? Uh, Of course, the implication being that we get in the way. (laughs) The observer gets in the way. I quoted uh, Heisenberg who said that that we don't observe the world, but we observe how we observe the world, something to that effect. And it was Niels Bohr, a contemporary, who said that he's not speaking about the temporary limits of human knowledge, but the very nature of human knowledge, that it's limited. We can only, in other words, when you look at the world, when you the observer looks at the world, it 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 kind of changes the world. It affects the world, and so you can't get at it what it's like without you observing it. Something like that. So the quest of understanding the world, looking at it, taking it apart, taking it apart further, and taking it to the smallest part, and so forth down to the atom and there they 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 they, they find on a this uh, uh quantum level the you know, consciousness is, is there has is a player hmm? the world is not a closed system hm it's uh from a quantum perspective it might be called a world of potential potentialities and the potentialities can be thought to imply the necessity of 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 someone observing and determining what what potentiality what what will what will come, hmm? whether it will be a wave or a particle, or, or uh, and so it is with um, one can reason with uh, the various uh, well choices appearing in the brain, in the mind. At any rate, it's a long discussion there, but and I'm not doing justice to it, but my point overall is that the Vedic, if you will, or the Puranic, the Bhagwat, let's say, conclusion as to the nature of the world is one that has been arrived at by modern science as well. You cannot know it however, however well you know it, it, it seems to elude you. Nonetheless, it doesn't mean you can't know certain things about it. You can go to the moon, or you can do this and that, and find there, find out there's some objective truths, But to know it comprehensively, hmm? no, it's uh, owning us in effect. And so, the, the 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 Bhagavad posits an idea way of looking at the world such that that it, it fosters a transcendence of matter, and a, a keeping this idea in in place, so we move away from measuring in terms of trying to measure and comprehensively know. It's not that the, the Bhagwat world is without measurements and instruments and science, if you will, but they didn't see the need to employ that science um, for anything other than uh, basic needs, improvement of needs with, within reason and so forth, but not in a madness to conquer the whole thing and and, uh, and to acquire and acquire and acquire and acquire. Hmm? Um and for that matter to use science in such a way as to, to 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 think about and look at the world from a vantage point that would foster um, the culture of transcendence. So uh, the, the, the very different view and again in, in our present world we're, we're going in that opposite direction we want to get to the bottom of things and uh, it's resulting in, in, in centuries of acquisition hmm that are facilitated by that type of exploration into the nature of the, of the, of the natural world. It gives you insights how to combine things together and produce certain products and uh, results and so forth that foster, really, acquisition. And uh, it also fosters a loss of the sense of self. We end up in a very, uh, potentially very lonely world Hmm? where uh, whether we exist as, a, as an individual self comes into question and so forth. So, as I say, on a larger scale, they're in competition with one another as to which way of looking at the world uh, is more uh, fruitful for the flourishing of human society, for the upliftment of of humanity, for happiness. Hmm? Um and so here we are in the modern society. We appreciate the contributions of modern science. We bow our head to many of the amazing uh, accomplishments and so forth, but we don't lay prostrate before the whole edifice of modern science. We have another deity that we, uh, uh, where we, to whom, before whom we offer our respects entirely. Hmm? <laughs> and, um, we, we admit we live in both worlds. We, we take the benefits from modern science, we, we, so we have some appreciation, we have some respect, but again, not entirely. For some time, we have to live in both worlds. Hmm. And we'll use one foot that's in this world as a, as a help to get out and to transcend and understand and know in that sense. Hmm. Know that it cannot be known. That's knowing entirely. I like to think of uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavas as some kind of theistic agnosticism. So there's a healthy unknowing in in our theism that we're comfortable with, a, a healthy sense of uncertainty that there, just like love is full of uncertainties, even while you're sure, you would not like to um, uh, that that you be sure that you want it. Hmm? So <clears throat> long introduction, but. Uh, you're discussing the avatars and I say they're difficult to, to understand entirely. This is a, this, the story of uh, the, the Shingo Bhagavan, the moment, the titi, the auspicious time that the, uh, the, the, this emotional moment in the life of the absolute is to be celebrated and so forth. Of course, corresponds with the bhakti of Pralad, the necessity of prahlada as he's depicted in the Bhagavatam. Mm. Um with regard to time, it's very much a story of time. It begins with time and, uh, and uh, using, uh, abusing time. It begins with using, uh, uh, kind of going against, doing something inauspicious in an auspicious time. This is how it begins in the third canto, Aditi, the mother of the gods and so forth, as she's described had a union at an inauspicious time it was meant for really something else. And the result was an inauspicious birth. Um, and, uh, to, as I say, it's a very multi-layered story with, uh, at the at the end, all the way at the end, the playing out of uh, Nisringadeva is, is obviously very much about uh, uh, time also. Vranyakasipu wanted to, uh, well, his time came, so to speak, even though he tried to conquer time and, ma- and avoid the time of, of death, so to speak. He could not escape the long um, arm of, of, of Bhagwan, not a hmm? Um But at any rate, as I say, Aditi perf- uh, did the wrong thing at the... Right? Well, did the wrong thing at the wrong time. And that inauspicious result, at the same time it was inauspicious in the material world, it had its genesis in the spiritual world, as the canto Bhagavatam goes on to say in uh, in the following chapters after the story of Aditi. We shift from the material world to the other world, hmm, to the Vaikuntha world, and the story of Jai and Vijay, how the Kumaras came there and uh, wanted to enter and weren't allowed to. Jai blocked them at the seventh gate of Vaikuntha, and they were cursed by the sages. And um, this brings up a, a, a point that has been discussed in recent uh, Gaudiya Vaishnava history at some length with, uh, unfortunately, a lot of misunderstanding. That's the, the idea of the, the origin of our material conditioning this story relates to that hmm? um, in that when the story is told again, the story of the fall of Jain Vijaya that appears to be as a result of the curse of the sages, it's told again in the seventh canto. Yudhisthira Maharaj is speaking with Nard, he's learning from Nard about the impartiality of Bhagwan, And uh, this uh, story comes up and Yudhisthira asks, how is it possible that anybody could fall from Vaikuntha? He says, I can't believe that that's possible. Why I can't believe is because they have bodies constituted of the sarup shakti. Because they have forms constituted of the sarup shakti, there's no way that they could be overwhelmed by the maya shakti. He says, how could even even a curse of sages, or to speak of any other lower Cause or force could not have an effect on them because of the nature of the sarup shakti. We talked about this a little bit the other day, but to go over it briefly, it's it's it's, it's important to understand the sarup shakti is what bhakti is constituted of. So bhakti is an ontological tattva,
1: hmm?
0: and this bhakti is the shakti of bhagawan. Largely, it's the ananda shakti. Hmm? When the Swarup, the Ananda in the Swarup, in the form of Bhagavan himself, manifests externally in the eternal moment that the one becomes two as Radha Krishna, you can say Bhakti is manifest. It's not happening at a particular point in time, but Bhakti is manifest. So with the manifestation of Bhakti, then Krishna can become an object of love. Without the Bhakta, how can he be the object of love? Of whom? It's another way in which the one becomes many, as it's stated in the Upanishads. The primal way in which the one becomes many. Often that refers to Mahavishnu becoming many, but it refers to Krishna also becoming another. Hmm? One becoming two. And so what happens is the Swarupa, the Ananda... of the swarup of Bhagawan manifests as swarup-shakti-ananda. And this swarup-shakti-ananda embodied as Radha is really what Bhakti is all about. Hmm? And we find that this swarup-shakti, the ananda, the haladini, in the swarup-shakti, it has the power to overwhelm Bhagavan. Now that's an extraordinary power. Maya, it is said, when Vyasa in his trance saw Maya, along with the the Parma Purusha and his Srupa Shakti, saw Maya at a distance, standing in the background, described in Bhagavatam, can't directly approach Bhagavan. Well, the Srupa Shakti is right there in his face, (laughs) so to speak, and and overwhelms him. Hmm? So given this extraordinary power of the Srupa Shakti, which is moving the whole leela. This is the force, if you will, that's moving the whole lila.
1: Hmm?
0: And it's moving, you know, in different dasyam, as I said, and vatsalya, And these are the forces of the surup shakti moving Bhagawan, causing the lila world to go around. It has some repercussions in this world. That's why I say these are the primary forces from the vantage point of the Goswamis. Hmm? Anyway, that shakti that has that power to make Bhagwan dance, if you will. Uh, Maya Shakti has absolutely no power over that. It's like compared to the darkness. It has no standing in the presence of light. Hmm. So, meanwhile, the Jeev Shakti, we have this Sarupa Shakti that Bhakti is constituted of, we have the Maya Shakti we've been talking about, then there's the Jeev Shakti, Tatasta Shakti, somewhere in between hmm? well we know that the tattashta the shakti is constituted of sat chit and ananda it has potential for for ananda for loving even it is an atomic particle of sat chit ananda hmm? but we know that it can be overwhelmed by maya that's readily our experience so if it can be overwhelmed by maya then it in and of itself cannot overwhelm Bhagwan. So bhakti, the ingress of bhakti into the life of the jiva through the Guru Parampara gives him two things. The power very easily to dispel maya Hmm? in the context of the power to overwhelm Bhagwan. So, from the spiritual world side, hmm? we're talking about surup-shakti. There's no question of falling from vaikuntha That's that's impossible. There is no maya there. Maya can't stand there, and so on and so forth. Hmm? Of course, we know there are sadhana siddhas Kripa siddhas that come from this world and perfect themselves and, and go there. Krishna says in the Gita, they never come back. Hmm? He really says no one comes back, but some people translate it to mean only, solely speaking about that kind of soul that wasn't there once, having gone there, never returns. But if someone else is there, the nityasiddhas, then it would be very contradiction of terms if the nityasiddhas were to fall down because they wouldn't be nityasiddhas. Hmm? There's nothing. To, there's nowhere to fall to. There's no. There's no influence that, uh, of that sort. And if you look from the material side, and this is the argument of Yudhisthira Marsh. He makes the argument. Nara doesn't say anything. He just goes on and tells the story. It's implied. Yeah, it's a far story. How could the sages fall down? How could they fall down on the curse of the sage? Tell the story. This is fascinating because it's not possible for them to fall down. Hmm? And so he tells the story. Of course, the commentators earlier on in the third can- canto have already explained, our theologians, that uh, that Bhagwan had the desire for birarasa, and so this whole thing happened. It means you see the point, one of the points, <laughs> that Bhagwan wants to taste Virarasa. This is a Vaikuntha happening. Virarasa means the heroic rasa where he's going to fight and establish dharma and so forth. So in order to taste rasa, Bhagwan has to interact with someone who's interacting with him favorably because Bhakti Rasa is anukul. Hmm? So when he fights with real demons, so to speak, they don't have they're not favorable in their attitudes. So what kind of rasa will come out of that? Hmm? But if they're devotees and they're doing it as a service, fighting with him, then he can derive the vira rasa from that. So Narayan, if a Narayan gets an urge for vira rasa, for this sentiment, so well there's no who's going to fight with him in Vaikuntha? <laughs> That's not that doesn't happen there. Hmm? This is Narayan. So uh, it has to take place on another plane, and it has to take place with devotees. So, with this desire, so many things happen. The sages who are kind of in between the, the Vaikuntha and the material world, they become motivated. And they end up in Vaikuntha. Hmm? The, the doorkeepers, who are, who are faultless people, act in a faulty way, hmm? and and don't let the uh, Kumaras in, or they they, see, they appear to in, in, insult them. Hmm? Meanwhile, Aditi down on earth, you know, she she uh, performs as uh, union with her husband in an inauspicious time, which is which which is supposed to bring an inauspicious result. Hmm. All these things. So what's happening when Bhagavan wants to taste something? The whole world's affected. Hmm. So we should look at the material world and its movements. The idea is from the vantage point of Maykuntha and Goloka, and what's going on there, and. Analyze them accordingly. Hmm? It's kind of like the simplistic idea that God's upset, therefore there's an earthquake or something like that. But it's a little bit more refined type of an explanation here we find in the in, in the Bhagwats uh, theology, hmm? which is, of course, posits a world that is one with Bhagwan, different from him at the same time. God is the world, God is not the world, and God is beyond the world, panentheistic outlook that really t- much more tends to unify God and the world than some other uh, uh, theologies. Hmm. So uh, 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 from we go, if we now work, work, move from the spiritual side where Yudhisthira says there can be no fall down and look at the spiritual world Sarup Shakti their forms are made of sirup shakti. How could it? There's no possibility that that they could be overwhelmed and develop material forms. And this it makes absolutely no sense. He says, "It's. It's. I do not believe it." Hmm? And this is why. And so, from the spiritual, we're looking at it from the vantage point of the spiritual world. There's no possibility of fall down. If we go to the material side, again, very briefly, there's no possibility because. We know that Mahavishnu is the manifestation of Bhagavan through whom the world is manifest. And he is like all the, the, uh, like God in general. I mean, he's God. God is Anadi. And the the sense of the term, there may be different ways in which the word is used. But in this context, it's, it's pretty clear how it's used. God has no beginning. There's no beginning to God. And similarly, the world cycles that are compared to his breathing, breathes out the world, universe is manifest. He breathes in; they they contract. Hmm? That has no beginning either, any more than his breathing has a beginning. So that's the world cycles are also called anadi. Hmm? And in the same exact context, karma is called anadi. Why is it the same context? Because karma is all about this world. Karma is the binding force between the Jeev shakti and the maya shakti that makes up the world. Hmm? So if you do not have karma, beginningless anadi karma, which we do according to the scripture, and which we have to understand in this context, it's anadi in the same sense that the world is anadi, in the same sense that, that uh, Vishnu is an Adi. Hmm? If it wasn't, there would be a world at some point in time manifest from Mahavishnu that wasn't material because it wouldn't have any karma. And there'd be, it wouldn't make any sense because there'd be no binding force between the Jivas and, and, and uh, Jiva Shakti and Maya Shakti. So if, you, if you're going to have a material world that's an Adi, karma has to be an Adi. In the full sense of the term, hmm? you can't say, "Well, there are some souls, I guess, that have an adi karma, and then some come down." At some point, you can make anything up you want, right? But <laughs> it sounds better to you. But our whole bhakti um, path is based on shraddha, which means faith in that there are things that I can't understand. I'll take it from the scripture. On hmm? adi itself, you can't understand something has no beginning. Hmm? So the world is an Adi. Bhagavan is an Adi. Mahavishnu is an Adi. The world is an Adi. Karma must be an Adi. It can't be otherwise. Hmm? You cannot have a world, material world, without karma. And the material world is an Adi. Hmm? It's the breathing of Vishnu who is an Adi. So which side you look at it from there's no possibility And this it comes up, as I say, in this story. It's one of the fascinating, you know, tangents, philosophical tangents that this Leela takes us in. So, 10, 14 chapters, as I say, it, it covers a lot of ground, a lot of philosophical points. Mm. Um, but at any rate, the, the, because Vishnu wanted to taste birasa, then he had to do so through his devotees. Jai and were selected. All these other events follow that. Mm-hmm. and so the curse is honored and the, the gatekeepers fall and they take three successive births as demons and then they're uh, liberated with the descent of Krishna, the, the full Swami Bhagwan in his Leela and uh, they return of course to, to, to Vaikuntha. But the first of those births is the birth of the two brothers Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakasipu. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we 're concerned tonight with this one character, Hironkasipu, which who very much personifies the materialistic mentality that I was referring to earlier hmm, where uh, scientific insights, math, and so forth, and which which is a descriptive language but lends itself as i 've many times said to controlling things, is employed to try to conquer the world. Uh, if you will, and become uh, deathless at the uh, denial of the existence of God. I mean, (laughs) this is very much in in a simple way what the um, methodological naturalist, the physicalist, the functionalist, you know, there's any number of um, types of um, philosophical thinking out there. Informed to some extent by observ- observable evidence that there's no consciousness, then there's no God. There's no that consciousness is not uh, is physical if uh, if it exists, uh, which is silly uh, if it exists. But um, uh, there's nothing supernatural. There's only uh, there's no God. There's no soul. Let's put it like that. Hmm? Um, and uh, that. Kind of thinking then leaves us with the pursuit of understanding matter for material pur- purposes alone, hmm? and that is um, has um, question. It's questionable whether that's improved the world in any real substantial sense. There are relative improvements along the way, as I say, but it's a certain mentality that. Um, is is futile? It's a futile pursuit because, as we already said, it's already been concluded. You cannot really understand matter entirely, hmm? and that's the attempt to, to master it entirely. So, there's always going to be some mystery there, no matter how far you go. There'll always be a place for God in physics. There'll always be an argument for God because the the in order to do away with God, you have to describe nature completely. You have to completely describe nature and show there's no room for God. Hmm? This is what kind of happened centuries ago when they, when Newton, you know, came up with his insights and so forth, and they found gravitational force, electromagnetism, magnetism, strong and weak nuclear forces, the four major forces, and they thought, we've understood the world completely. Hmm? With, by understanding its forces, and there's no room for anything outside to influence it. Of course, with the birth of quantum mechanics, that whole thing was turned upside down. That's why Einstein said, if quantum mechanics is true, physics is over. They've been, you know, having to accept quantum to some extent, but they're reluctant to go, you know, too far with it and so forth. But um, anyway, the point is, if unless you can completely describe matter, hmm? then there's always going to be room for, for for, the conjectures about God or that there's more, or there, you know, and so on and so forth. So there always will be. Those arguments are not going to go um, away. Hmm. And, of course, if we, in our pursuit of understanding nature and conquering nature, this is the Haranyakasipu in us, if you will. Hmm? The pursuit of conquering over nature. He, want, he wanted, In he, this tell the story, he was born and he was upset because his brother i said there was two of them jai and who fell as haranyaksha and Honyakasipu had been killed haranyaksha by vishnu the varaha avatar and so he wanted to avenge the death of his brother and uh, he wanted to conquer over nature and and god's influence he wanted uh, immortality Without God, something like that. Mm-hmm. He wanted to completely conquer material nature. It's presented in a in a in a kind of a crude way, as uh, compared to modern scientific attempts. But uh, he performed austerities. He plugged into the university. He spent time. He studied. He researched. <laughs> he performed austerities. He did it by standing on his toes. And the the idea is that by austerity one becomes physical austerity, one can become more mentally astute. Hmm? And you have to turn away from your... When you become physically gratified and so forth, then you tend to think less. Hmm? become less of a thinker. Hmm? So, at any rate, he performed austerity, and so he got mental powers and so forth. And then he negotiated with... he he put the whole by his mental powers he put the whole universal order in jeopardy it's described and so the Brahma Brahma appeared with his foreheads and appeased him and what did he want he wanted as I say to conquer over nature he didn't want which means he didn't want to die
1: Hmm?
0: and so he um, got a benediction that he wouldn't die at night nor in the day nor in the land, or in the sea, or in the air, not inside the house, or outside the house, not uh, um, this way, in that way. He made all these not by any beast, neither by any man, and so he came, come up with everything he could think of, and uh, he got the benediction, and so he thought that he had um, beat the system, so to speak. So this is. Kind of what the materialistic way of looking at life, obviously much more sophisticated and nuanced, but it's, it's it describes a certain mentality that the pranic world, if you will, is in in competition with. It wants to lead us to think and to and to, to move in the world in a, in a different way. Hmm? Uh, well, it, it says we'll we'll really. Show us what our potential is, and it's great and it's extraordinary and And you can what to speak of conquer nature, you can transcend nature you can you can overwhelm bhagwan hmm? very source of nature hmm? uh, and so the Harikasippu was born with all these powers, and then in contrast to Rakasisippu is his son Perlad, when the whole Leela never grows beyond five years old. So he's, uh, you know, what is a man with such power as, uh, and he's thought here, Hirani Katsipa was is thought to have not only the physical power, but from his austerity, great intellectual and mental power. I mean, to think of all these things, this is the idea, not in the day, not in the night, and he thought, he thought, the implications, he thought it all out, he had a very active um, and developed mental intellectual system. Hmm? So, the implication is by physical force or by mental intellectual force, which is even more powerful by far, hmm? you're not going to conquer over nature. Mama maya dratya, Krishna says. It's, it's, forget it. It's insurmountable. It's not possible. But he was thinking like that. And in the Leela, we find the very contrast to that is the boy, Prahlad, what kind of power did a, does a boy have, a child, a five-year-old boy have? Physical power? Mental intellectual power, hmm? we don't we don't find that comparatively to uh, in, in a, in a five year old child. Hmm? So this contrast, the story is told, about this is again about the life of Bhagawan, a moment in the life of Bhagawan. Uh, the story is told in such a way to help us enter into that, and it can experience the the whole all the implications of the leela hmm? in vaikuntha by going there. Hmm? but it's told. it might be told a little differently at different times so just for making the points, hmm? some of which we're, we're making today. So this contrast, this kasipu and the child, and the child, of course, Prahlad, is a devotee. So the implication is, again, what is the power then of devotion? Hmm? And what is required in order to get that power of devotion, the innocence of Prahlad, hmm? the faith of Prahlad? Because Prahlad... Naturally, the son of Harnikasipu wanted his son to follow in his ways. And when he asked the son what he learned in school, hmm, he didn't know that during the recess he was teaching the, the, the students uh, Bhagwat philosophy. Hmm, nor did he know that he had learned it from Narada. Hmm, and how did he learn it from Narada? Well, when the when the devas... Found out that the, the, the mother of the gods, Aditi, had done this inauspicious act—that uh, you know, by uh, acted at the, at the wrong time, creating an inauspicious result. They were uh, in in some trepidation, and they had seen what Hiranyaksha had done, as the so now Hiranyakasipu, and what would his son be like? I thought, oh God, here we're going to have a whole lineage of these people. Hmm? problem and so nard was uh, dispatched to they, they they actually kidnapped the wife isn't it of of Haranyakasipu, the devas, the ideas and then, then then nard was dispatched to speak to the wife of Haranyakasipu with a view to send his intentions his will into the to the child within the womb as a blessing oh it's a, also a story here of the power of the blessing of a Vaishnav. The implication was there's a child of a demon and he's depicted as the biggest demon in the world. Hmm? King of the demons, Perlad later, later called him. Best of the demons, Perlad later called him. Hmm? In, in the womb, I mean, what, what can you do in the womb? How developed are you in the womb? Hmm? Uh, and however developed he was, the implication would be he'd be developing along a demonic way, likely. He had the demonic genes uh, and, 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 and blood in his veins and so forth. Therefore, Prahlad is called a Daitya. Among Daityas, Krishna says, I am Prahlad. Hmm? In Gita. Hmm? He's considered a demon who's a devotee. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the, the point is that the power of the Vaishnav to bless, the power of Bhakti, again, Narada blessed him in the womb and so Prahlada is considered to be a Nitya Siddha but he's also considered to be a Sadhana Siddha in that his life is an example of teaching of how one can perfect oneself. Hmm? You could say it's an example of a Kripa Siddha also because he was blessed by Narada in the womb. But again, the point here is the power of bhakti. We have the power of Hiranyakasipu which personifies all the power that you can have in the material world, physical and intellectual, mental and so forth, yogic even. He had yogic power. Hmm? So this is some acute type of psychic power. There are some yogic powers that belong to Bhagwan. They're inherited in Bhagwan. You can only get those by his blessings, the primary, Agi, lagima, mm, magima, it's a, a prapticity. Um, eight principal cities. There are several others. I made total of about 18 or something like that, mentioned in the 11th canto of Bhagavatam. Secondary ones can be acquired hmm, without a blessing, hmm, deriving from the psychic ability. Vishwanath says, Chakrathitaka says in his Bhagavatam commentary, the principal ones, they require a blessing. Hmm. He describes Nars having been blessed with them hmm, and praying in his childhood in the story that he, where he tells his childhood to his youth and his development to Vyasa, to Nard, that is. Anyway, Nard blessed the child, hmm? and he had, that, such as the power of bhakti, it makes the powers of yogic City, Hranyakasipu had some kind of mystic power. He went into a yogic posture, he stood on one, was it on his one foot, or two, One on his toes, for the idea, for thousands of years, so it means he had yogic power, hmm? you can accomplish extraordinary things. And this power is nothing. Nothing compared to bhakti. Mm. Nard's goodwill toward Prahlad turned the child of the biggest demon into the most gentle devotee. And it's important to note that the gentleness and innocence of Prahlad is corresponding with a very a ferocious moment in the emotional life of Bhagwan. There are sometimes devotees, very neophyte devotees, who develop an attraction for Nassimhadeva, and, and along with it, an attraction for beating up on the so-called demons, being some kind of a chatriya or something like that. They have this kind of a bhav fighting bhav, but we don't find that the the actual devotee whose life corresponds with Mishringadeva had a fighting bhav at all. Hmm? He's a child, innocent, uh, uh, defenseless, and so forth. Hmm? This will attract the wrath of Bhagwan in relation to demons. We don't have to go and fight them. We become innocent. We become humble. We become gentle. Hmm? Bhagwan will take care of everything else. This is sharanagati. Rakshik oh. shatri will protect me. Hmm? We find this kind of sharanagati. We find this kind of confidence in Prahlad. So Nard blessed him. Harinikasi didn't know about it when the when the mother was again um, um, freed from the kidnapping of the the Davises and Perlad was born and so forth and he was sent to school and at a certain point father thought well. See how my son's doing. He didn't know, again, that this blessing had gone on and as a result of it, Prahlad during the recess was teaching the students about bhakti. Hmm? There's beautiful descriptions of Prahlad in the seventh canto that um, describe him as a devotee of Krishna. This is also another interesting point. that Bhagwan Narasimha is said to be a Sadaishvarya uh, avatar when he manifests all six opulences, other avatars do not necessarily manifest all six. It's described in the that This is Krishna, Ram and Nasringha. So Nasringha was is an incarnation of Krishna. Inasmuch as Prahlad was meditating on Krishna. It said that his describing him in his youth, it said that he was uh, that he was um, influenced by devotion to Krishna as if by an astrological influence that just uh, as a result of the previous life you have a sangskara that's very forceful and you can't, you can't change it, it's ruling your life. So he was ruled by the Krishna bhakti sangskara, like, described like, like a planet, like the Dhruva planet is fixed, so the influence of Krishna in his life was, was just fixed such as the power of Nard's again well wishing. is hmm? when he could never be swayed from Bhakti and Krishna Bhakti. In several places it's described that in his trance he would experience the embrace of Gobinda. So the name Gobinda Krishna is used repeatedly with regard to Prahlad and it's quite apparent that he was his, his Ishta Devata was Krishna, as was the devata of Narda. Hmm? of course uh so so the Nisringa is a very special avatar um we we, we he he's not some avatar who says some alt neophytes sometimes think is, is somehow opposed to Radha Krishna, where I was told by some devotees that if if you worship Niringadaade Radha and Krishna will run away, Hmm? They will run far away from there. So we don't worship the Dev because our ideal is to worship Radha and Krishna and they'll run away from there. What kind of idea is this? Hmm? No. Bhagavan Dev is is, is is a particular manifestation of Krishna. Of course, Prahlad's ideal is not rag bhakti He's uh, an example of Vaidhi-bhakti, um, but Krishna is also a deity of Vaidhi-bhakti. Hmm? Either in Bajkuntor or in Dwarka, hmm? and um, and and so how the worship of the will chase Radha and Krishna away? When, for that matter, Nandan are worshiping the in their house. Hmm? This is the deity of the house of of Sri Vastakur, whose whose place in Mayapur in Nababdeep corresponds, I believe, with the house of Nanda and Yashoda, where the kirtan of Mahaprabhu went on, hmm? much as Navadweep and, and Vrindavan are the, are the are the same. He's also got a deity of Narshingadev there. Hmm? And, and the Shingadev was the very protector of the Sankirtan we found in, in, in Leela. Hmm? And kirtan is the most efficacious way to attract the attention of the divine couple. Indeed, the Hare Krishna mantra, which Mahaprabhu advocated his mandate really that his devotees chant is a mantra ultimately that speaks about the the union of of Radha and Krishna. He's the protector of that <laughs> in some ways. He's very prominent, of course, in, in Gauralila. Hmm? Prabhupada introduced the chanting of the Nisringa the Pranati and the, and the prayers of Jayadeva that we sang in relation to Bhagavan Narasimha. There's another example. Jayadeva Goswami is writing a love book about Radha and Krishna, the Gita Gobinda, a very high book about the love relations of Radha and Krishna, and he prefaces the book with his description of the ten avatars, one of whom is Narasimha. He wants to say there that Keshavadrita, Narahari Rupa, and so forth, that uh, they're all incarnations of Krishna. Really, it's a way of saying Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, his song. Uh, so he wants to make that philosophical point hmm, in a big way, before he enters into then a whole book of the bhava of Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, in a sense, because the Swayam Bhagavan is the one who Rada is standing, who's standing next to Rada. Uh, she is the bhava, that, the, the preem, the love that corresponds with him, and so forth. Very nice idea. First he gives the tattva in a poetic song, Das Dasavatar Stotram. Then he tells the, gives the feeling, hmm of the Leela, and the Shingadevas is included there and so forth. So um, this is, uh, no, there's a place for this. This is the day for it, for that matter. <laughs> and it's a great story of uh, Bhagavan Sri Krishna hmm, and how he protects his devotees. We find in Gorlila that it was Gopal Bhatta Goswami hmm, contemplating the devotion of Prahlad and the extraordinary reciprocation that he got from Krishna Contemplating this, he thought, "If only Bhagawan would reciprocate with me, and manifest as a deity, so that I could take care of him as a deity. He had the shaligrams, but not a deity form that you would dress and so forth." Hmm? And based on this meditation, when he woke up in the morning, he found that that the, one of his shaligrams had had turned into the deity Radharaman, and I think he has the shaligram on the shoulder here and on the hip where he's burst out hmm? uh, the Radharaman deity. So again by thinking about the Prahlad leela and the devotion of Prahlad the the Radharam, radharaman manifest and that radharaman manifestation is said to be the apparent the reappearance of chaitanya mahabhu in gopal life fulfilling the promise of mahabhu that you go to vrindavan and i'll come and see you there eventually hmm? uh, you'll get my darshan again this is how we got the darshan so there's a place for the uh, regard for uh, Narasingha Dev, Mahaprabhu chanted those prayers that uh, the Prophet introduced when he was in the Puri temple. Hmm, there, and there's a de- deity of Narasingha there also. Uh, so um, we have to think of Bhagavan Narasingadev in relation to our ishta Devata, Krishna, Radha Krishna, and so forth, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. In, in these ways, we don't uh, have a material understanding and. Criticize any manifestation of our of our deity. Hmm? So, uh, a very important um, descent avatar of of Bhagawan, and um, he appeared in relation to the necessity, the devotional necessity, if you will, of Prahlad, who is setting an example of a devotee whose bhakti is is unalloyed, unmotivated, and uninterrupted. Hmm? It was Ahoituki and Apertihata. Apertihata means uninterrupted. And there was the point is, there were great cause for interruption. Because when Nishringadev found out that Prahlad was actually a devotee, he asked him, What's the best thing you've learned in school? And he said, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Parasevanam, Archanam, Vandanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atmani, Vedanam, Iti Pum, Sarpito, Vishnu, Bhaktis, Chenna Balakshana. This is how important Prahlad is. The Nabalakshana. The ninefold principle swarup siddha, swarup siddha limbs of bhakti, were enunciated by him. I mean, he is a huge, huge devotee in the Bhagavatam and in the lives of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. And so there's a big place, therefore, for Bhagavan Narahari as well. Hmm? Huge. I mean, Perlada is called the best of the devotees by Bhagavan. Hmm? Better than Garuda, better than even Lakshmi, in Vaikuntha, he says. He glorifies Prahlad in this way. Sanatana Goswami, commenting on that in Brij Bhagavatamrita, makes the point. He, he, when he says about Prahlad, it's so nice. He says Prahlad had 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 a, had a, a uh, what is it? Was a, a, it a, a grandson and a great grandson, Bali Maharaj, and uh, Banasura? H hmm. related in the family line, and these people were you know by arguably good for nothings I mean Bali Maharaj disturbed the whole universal order hmm. and in favor of the the demons over the the devas. Then he disobeyed his guru, Sukracharya, and what was seemingly like for higher purpose to give something to to Bhagwan. Vamanadeva, and then, when Bamanad asked for something he couldn't he wasn 't good for his word hmm? he couldn 't give him three steps of land because Bhagwan took all, all all the land in two steps, of course is the story, so he disrupted the universal order, he disobeyed his guru, and although it might be seen that he did it for a higher purpose he couldn 't fulfill his higher purpose of giving his uh, fulfilling his promise to give Bhagwan whatever he wanted. <laughs> And so, he's, he's no good <laughs> in that sense. So, wh- how is it then that he got the benediction that he did? Hmm? And Sunatya says, well, because he's related to Prahlad. So, this is the power of Prahlad. This is, it's just some relationship with him, despite how one is acting in a non-devotional way. And then Banasura, hmm? this is Shiva speaking in priyad Bhagavatamrita. In a similar way, he did all kinds of things. He, he fought with Shiva himself, who was his father, I believe. Uh, 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 and he, 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 he fought with, uh, with Vishnu. Hmm? He stole Krishna's grandson, Aniruddha. Hmm? The guy was a huge disturbance. <laughs> Didn't know what to do with himself. Depicted as having a thousand arms. And, um, and still, he got a great blessing from, from Krishna. Krishna. So that's an more, even more extreme story than Bali. Hmm? And so from Shiva's perspective, he says, this is because of Prahlad. Because of Prahlad. So how dear is Prahlad to Bhagavatam? If we could become like Prahlad. Hmm? And Sanatana so Goswami makes the point. Sometimes they say, well, the Nityasiddhas, these are the real gurus. The sadhana says, we don't know about them. Hmm? This is a very silly and even really offensive idea. Siddha means Siddha, hmm? however we got there. Hmm? And this is the way Prabhupada answered the question. But people have, his own disciples now, in his absence have speculated in, uh, along these lines that to contradict what he himself has taught repeatedly and what the scriptures emphatically teach. Hmm? And they want to make some idea that they, because they think their guru is a to Siddha, which is their own subjective opinion, hmm? they're entitled to, but then to say that yours is not, They're not necessarily entitled to that opinion, but they say that, and yours may be a sadhana siddha, but even if he's a sadhana siddha, he's somehow less than the nitya siddha. Recently I heard someone say, someone was saying that unless the guru comes from Goloka and is born in a Vaishnava family, that guru cannot deliver you. I said, tell it to Prahlad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tell it to Bhaktivinod. Yeah. Hmm? Talatagor Kishordas Babaji. Yeah? And so on. And you can go down the list and there's so many of them. Hmm? Hmm? So, no, this is indeed the opposite, if anything, has been stressed by Sanatana Goswami with regard to Prahlad. Why is he better than Lakshmi? Better than Lakshmi? Better than Garuda and the attendance of the Lord and Vaikuntha and so forth? Why? Because he says, well, their bhakti's never even been tested. But Prahlad was tested under extreme conditions, because when his father found out, you're a devotee of Vishnu, who's my avowed life enemy, hmm? Uh, then Prahlad became the enemy of Aranyakasipu, and all of his mental, yogic, mental, and physical strength was turned on Prahlad to try to break his devotion uh, to, uh, to Krishna, and of course it was ineffective. No matter what he did, he tried many things, to poison him and to... Put him in this pit uh, of snakes and uh, and so many so, so many obstacles. So, no obstacle to get in the way of his bhakti. So, his bhakti was apatihita, uninterrupted. Hmm? And when it was, and, and finally, of course, then he he became frustrated with his son Kasibu, and said, "Okay, you want to talk about Vishnu? He's everywhere, you know. Is he okay? Is he here? Is he there? Yeah, wherever I see him, he is." Bahir na sringho, He's inside my heart and he's outside. He's everywhere. I see him everywhere. Hmm? And the demon, by contrast, by his other approach to understanding the world, as we've been talking about, can't see him anywhere. So he said, is he in this pillar, the stone pillar? He says, yeah, I see him everywhere. And so he broke the stone pillar that was the physical strength of he And out comes Singha. Hmm? He's not a beast nor a man, half man, half animal. Half lion. He took him, they, it is said in South India, he put him in the doorstep, hmm? just between the outside and the inside of the house on the threshold. Killed him there. And not on the land or in the sea or the water, but on his lap. Not with any weapons, but with his nails, which are beautifully described. Tabukata Tavokara Nakam Advutta Singham. Hmm? <laughs> and uh, so on and so forth. He didn't kill him at daytime or at night, but at dusk, in between the two. And he, you know, he, he showed himself to be infinitely smarter than the smartest and most powerful person in the world by material estimation. Even Brahma had to had to bow to and and and, and uh, um, acquiesce to his um, request for a benediction. Hmm? So he killed him, of course, and 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 then he blessed Prahlad. When he killed him, all the devas were frightened to death. They had never seen such a powerful manifestation of Bhagawan and they were intimidated. They were intimidated because they all have some material desire. Hmm? And it was material desire and ambition and so forth uh, that is in opposition to Bhakti, an impediment to Bhakti, that Harnikasipu personified. So Nishangadeva had no room for that. And so whatever little bit was in their heart made them afraid to step forward and offer prayers to Bhagwan as they should. They're having Garshan of Bhagawan, and he's saving the situation. Still they were afraid. And um, so no one would go forward. And, and, and finally Prahlad was pushed forward. And of course, very simply, he, he, he praised Bhagwan and Bhagawan praised him and he praised him and, and demonstrated to, the, to everyone in the whole universe what is the bhakti of Prahlad? What is the power of bhakti? Because there was no material obstacle that could get in the way of his bhakti. Hmm? Number one. And now Bhagawan started to propose spiritual obstacles to his bhakti. Hmm? He said, I'm here, I'm Bhagawan. take a benediction. I don't want any benediction. I'm I'm God. I'm telling you. I'm here to give you benediction. Take it. I don't want any benediction. Hmm? Take liberation. I don't want liberation. Take the nothing. He would take. Hmm? If anything, he said, to "Give bhakti to my father." Hmm? So they've personally tested him and showed what what how his devotion was unflinching, how he was absolutely selfless, and so forth. And this kind of selflessness. We, this is the... Uh, we we have to come to this to enter into the uh, really uh, internal life of bhakti proper. Hmm? So Prahlad sets an example of that. Nisargadeva, of course, um, blessed him. And we wor- will worship Nisargadeva with Prahlad. Hmm? Our ideal is not to worship Nisargadeva, Lakshmi Shringa like this, hmm? that deity. But Nisargadeva giving the blessing to Prahlad. This is our entrance, our window of Bhagavan the that really speaks to us, that that, that the, the Bhagavatam is presenting. As you see, even Lakshmi was afraid to come forward. Hmm? So there are people in Bhayakuntha, Bhayakuntha the Bhaktas will worship Lakshmi and the Shingya, but we'll worship Nanasringa and Prahlad. Hmm? Either ripping apart Hiranyakasipu or standing and blessing like a pussycat, uh, Prahlad Maharaj. Hm? So, the life of Prahlad is uh, what uh, then his sentiments of this, would corresponds with this avatar and uh, very instructive to us. As I say, there's, we've made a number of points. There's many, many more to be made, but I think we've covered the story in general and made a few points. So, with that, we'll stop. See Bhagavan Narasimhadeva ki jai, Svi Bhakti Prahlad Maharaj ki jai. Opremanande What's the time now? Okay. Any questions? We'll take those questions while well, we take prasad. And then we take, well, today we have a little special, different um, adjustment of schedule uh, so that the board devotees in Madhavan could also hear. So we'll take prasad now, which our usual time, and then it'll be RT at 6.30? 6.30. See, Nishinga Chaturda Si Ki Jai. Okay, we have a couple of minutes. So. We have a few minutes. Oh, okay, so we have a few minutes. So it was asked about the, the prayers that Namaste, not a It's somewhere. I'm not sure where it's found, maybe in a Padma Purana or something, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu chanted them in hmm? Jagannath Puri and that's uh, described in uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita So Prabhupada invoked those prayers. He invoked them in the early days of his mission in ISKCON to give protection to the Sankirtan. Hmm? He also allowed his devotees to chant them to protect their spiritual master in the beginning. In the end, he did not uh, allow them to invoke those prayers and petition Bhagavan the Shinga to protect them, he was more ready to to go, I guess. So, Brahma you had a question? there's a place in India where they say that the Nishringa
2: Dev appeared from the pillar and you can go and worship the pillar and
0: Right. I think that first of all, I think that it is a it is all these leelas that are being described. They're very much celebrated on Earth. They're they're all pertain to Earth. They pertain to Earth in that Earth is is thought to be in the Bhagavatam, the place where where the determinism of the world is is, um, is 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 at bay to some extent. So there's free will. There's agency in Barsha. Which is another name for for the for the world, so to speak, in in the lower planets in animal kingdom, the free will the determinism is 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 it takes hold, and also in in the in the life of the devas and so forth. Hmm? Whereas in the, in in an earth, then so this, this, there's some agency on the part of the jivas, they're doers hmm? in some limited way, and so there are repercussions. So karma is kind of generated, if you will, here. deterministic influence of karma is everywhere, but the influence is here, and then, boom, you go there to heaven for a while, and you do stupid things there as well, but you come back and pick up where you left off, and, or you go down, and so this is the idea that's given there. And so the Leelas are all really in relation to the earth, because and the avatars, because they're all talking about opportunities on earth for humans to have access to to Bhagawan windows of openings as I said and times, auspicious times that have a corresponding, hmm, correspond to emotional moments in the life of of a Bhagawan something like that. It's a way of talking about it. At any rate, the, then the details of this tend to be made more concrete, right, by devotees, for because they are concretely oriented. <laughs> And so they might want to posit a place, here's where he's born exactly, and this is the exact pillar, and this is the place, and, and so on and so forth. And they probably get that, uh, in, the, in the best case scenario, from how it's been passed down over centuries, perhaps by devotees who envisioned the, the, the lila in their hearts in that place, and then they saturated that with their own bhava, by thinking about it, feeling about it in that way, and it takes on some sacredness. Like we look at the places of Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan, like this, where the, the Goswamis were empowered by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to revive the places of Krishna's pastimes. So wherever they stood and experienced the pastime,
1: hmm,
0: we think, this is where the pastime, you know, this, their, their bhava is kind of like they saw something and they felt, you know, you see Krishna everywhere. So they said, this is the footprint of Bhagawan and that place is taken and there's the footprint. Kind mean, of maybe it's the footprint. You know. <laughs> something like, well, you might look at it like that, but from their point of view. And so this has spiritual power. I mean, because again, we have to remember this is a, a Chintya Beta Beta philosophy. So you know, the, the love of the devotee and Bhagavan are one and the same. So wherever there's real bhakti, hmm, bhava and so forth, and that's transposed onto something. It's, it, it's externally manifested. On, and this is this has become a a, a a a a a stimulant for my baba and of course some object of the world that takes on a spiritual kind of a power if you will hmm? um so that's the way i would look at those things i um you know i'm not i've never been to that place and of course you know from a mature point of view it's hard. how could this pillar is still here? here is millions of years ago and uh, and uh there's all that was there even you know human life on earth is not supposed to have been here by our modern standards millions and millions of years ago and so forth so again that's why I want to drift back to different ways of talking about the world and I I I I, I don't obviously want to do away with the Leelas and the reality of the Bhagwan's form and so forth but the fact of the matter is these type of descriptions are very different than the empirical observable type of Um, descriptions that are given in modern science that leads to certain conclusions and facts and and so on and so forth. So exactly, it's hard to sort out exactly what the Puranas in language and descriptions of nature, like the, you know, I, I described map of time, the whole Bhagavatam's fifth canto kind of idea. But um and, and even even we're not encouraged to go into that in detail in the from the commentators of the Bhagavatam itself, from the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Hmm? But anyway, so that's how I would would, would think about that. I you know, I, I wouldn't think of it as a literal fact necessarily, but I would think of it as a spiritual fact. And that there are such things. What else?
2: Yeah. Uh, you were talking about uh, how um, uh, in a lecture about how uh, we didn't fall, there's no falling down from Vaikuntha. You know. But uh, throughout the, uh, my time in ISKCON, I always thought that we fell down from Vaikuntha. And it seemed to make the most sense to me. All right. uh, so. Since there's no falling down from Vaikuntha, that doesn't put any... There's no reason for it. Yep. There's no reason for being here anymore. Like all of a sudden, mm-hmm. here we are, we're stuck here, we didn't do anything to get here.
0: That's why sometimes Prophet said, you fell from Vaikuntha, Because thinking like that, for a neophyte, can foster some enmity towards God. That, hey, man... I didn't do anything. <laughs> and Krishna is no longer this lovable God that I thought he was. And that's not fair. Therefore, I have to think he has to be lovable in every way. So, you know, it, it couldn't have been his fault. It could have been. But, you know, the thing is that what we really taught is is to accept what the scriptures say. And of course, it's a particular vantage point, so forth. There's no reason for anything. It's all the layla of Bhagawan. The world is considered to be Lokavat, Tulilavat, Kaivalyam. He didn't manifest the world out of any necessity hmm? but out of play. I mean you can try to harmonize it in this way that you have Vishnu Mahavishnu he wants to become many he manifests as many but because his jurisdiction is the material world then the many he manifests come in contact with material nature and so it becomes a problem for them and so then the avatars come to try to resolve the problem. Hmm? That gives some reason to it and doesn't sound as like, I mean, God just put me here and I'm suffering and there are other people that aren't here and they didn't come here first and and so forth. But the, 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 these ideas, so these ideas may be hard to embrace um, for some person, especially neophytes, and it's the same principle that ideas of origins are, are difficult to digest. So when your child first asks you, where did I come from, you know, you know, you say, "Well, a big bird dropped you off in the chimney or something like that, and you wait and think in time they 'll understand more so it 's very reasonable to to think that Prabhupada kind of put off the question and talked about it in a particular way, so as to take fault away from Bhagawan, which is the whole argument of theodicy that you know the god's not the cause of evil hmm? um, and, and by doing that, it keeps people on the. On the track going forward until they get more. I I think that the more standing you get in bhakti, the more implausible it becomes, the idea of falling from Vaikuntha, because you're getting closer to what that's about and you realize what it is, and you know, there's no. no, that doesn't make any sense. The more you're on this side, hmm, the more questions of fairness arise in your mind and so forth. You know, you are in a position. Illusion, no, no doubt, of a sense of separateness from Bhagawan. The closer you come to vaikuntha the more you're becoming one with Bhagawan, and there's no fault, there's nobody to, you know to blame or anything like that, and he's charming and everything, and and so the more you're conditioned, the more there is a sense of separateness, and then you can make an argument like, hey, wait a minute, I don't like this. God did this to me. You see, that makes no sense from the from the point of view of the metaphysic of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. That, that, he, that whole arguing is maya. You know, that, that's the, you're in maya to make such an argument. <laughs> you're in illusion. There no, you, you are, God does what he wants, and you're one of the shaktis of God. God's doing what he wants. Who can complain? God does what he wants. What you have, this, this is a, of course, this is a very panentheistic a, a worldview. In Christianity, you don't have that. In most schools, the vast majority, mainstream Christianity, you have this very strict bifurcation between the world and divinity, divinity between man and God. No man, you know, come before God. No man can be perfect. And it's this very strong uh, line between them. Hmm? But we don't have that in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Hmm? So... Yeah, it's understandable that Prabhupada may have spoken like that for that reason. That's why I like to go to the place in Bhagavatam where the questions actually kind of arise, that one place, and that's where Prabhupada says in his purport, no one falls from Vaikuntha.
1: Hmm?
0: And so, you know, you, you, I can give you the scriptural explanations like I have about from the spiritual perspective and from the material perspective, and still, you know, there's a, well, yeah, it's kind of problematic. That's what you have, you have to just, who means, well, it doesn't matter if it's problematic. Well, what if God's bad? You know, what are you to say, you know? <laughs> he has to be good. And, and that his good has to be what my idea of good is. Hmm? I'm an illusion, so what is my idea of good? I have a certain idea of good and fair, and I'm an illusion. So why does God have to conform to that? Hmm? No, he doesn't. Come out of illusion, and you find out He's all good, and the whole thing, you know, makes sense in that it doesn't have to. God's doing, you know, love transcends reason, as we say, something like that. Hmm. All right, we'll stop there. See, Thank you.